0: the pod episode 13 today we're going to talk about some nebraska issues i'm april i'm here with melody and stephanie and we'll be welcoming our special guests morgan freeman and angie phillips
1: thank you april so normally we talk about our gardens or the amazing squirrel video that one of our patrons sent us Um, we talk about the new puppy all those things but things are really heavy right now you all know things are heavy right now there's a Black Lives Matter movement that's taking over the nation and it's taking over Nebraska. We're very proud of all of the protesters. We stand with them. And after this introduction, you're going to hear Angie Phillips and Morgan Freeman talk about what it's like to actually be on the ground in Omaha. We hope you listen all the way through. It is a great interview. We think you're going to learn a lot. We learned a lot. Uh, We recorded it before we recorded this part. So I want to give a shout out to our newest patrons, Vicki Wood, Robert Way, Jay Grabow, Christine, Dana Maskey, Jody Rutledge, Jesse DeWitt, Christy Parker, Jason Hagland. Seeing Red has been trying to cover the stories of the people leading this movement, and your support means a lot. Your support makes sure that we can do the good work that we do, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, We have added a new book list on seeingred.com. If you click on the fight back link at the top, you can see our book recommendations. We have an anti-racism book list. And if there's any anti-racist books, anti-racism books that you think should be on that list, give us a shout and we can easily add it. Uh, We're not pretending to be experts here. We're just trying to do what we can. I am very pleased to welcome tonight two activists on the front line of the protesting efforts that are happening in Omaha, the witnesses to police violence. I've got Morgan Freeman. She is, most recently, she was a congressional candidate in Omaha. She was, she's been interviewed by Seeing Red in the past. We interviewed her as part of her campaign she told us that she was really inspired by Michael Brown's murder in 2014, and this is what really launched her into becoming a community organizer and an activist. Uh, recently, in the state legislature, she's been working to pass a ban on natural hair discrimination. If you can believe that's a thing, that's a thing. Uh, so, that's going on. Um,
2: it worked. It worked. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. I'm so sorry. Please
1: continue. So, okay, hold on. Our other guest tonight is Angie Phillips. Angie Phillips was recently running for the Senate in Congress um, out in Washington, D.C. So she's been running for the Nebraska seat against Ben Sass, and she was inspired to start organizing and to really become a prominent voice in left politics here in Nebraska after the 2016 election of the current president. Welcome to Seeing Rat the Pod, ladies. I am very, very happy that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. I wanted to ask you what... You both were part of organizing the first protests that happened in Omaha. And that was, you know, we're recording on May 31st and it was two days ago from now, May 29th. um, And that was a Friday night in Omaha. Can you walk me through what inspired you to do that? Um, You know, and then feel free to talk about, you know, take it from there.
2: So I originally um, was invited to a protest that was pretty informal. It was just supposed to be a girl and and several of her friends that were uh, holding up signs in a safe space to just grieve publicly. Um, And it very quickly blew up. I was invited probably around five o'clock that night. Um, By nine o'clock when I reached out to the organizer, there was about 500 extra people that had uh, found out about the protests and decided to go. And having organized other protests before, I knew that um, those can get really big really quickly, and um, you need to be able to have some sort of organization, some sort of experience, um, people that are helping you to to honestly try to make sure that um, your message is out and that people are are able to protest peacefully and safely. Um, and so I invited Angie to, and asked her if she would be interested in helping to organize. Um, and then several other volunteers stepped up um, to help try to bring some semblance of order and infrastructure to the protests. Um, but even then, even with our preparation, which was basically started around midnight, the night of the protest. So like on midnight Friday morning um, is when a lot of this is really starting to come together and and get moving. Um, And so we tried to do what we can with the time that we had and tried to build an infrastructure from there, but also trying to keep in mind and respect what the original organizers vision for the event was um, and to not overtake the protests but to just provide support and infrastructure for it. Um, It, as I'm sure you have heard by now, it grew quite, quite big. There was, I think that there was thousands of people there. There was at least 1,000 people there. Um, And uh, what I saw uh, when I got there is uh, people were showing up. There was already hundreds of people before um, the protest was actually scheduled to begin. Um, and it just grew up exponentially from there. It was very, very hard crowd control-wise to get people to stay on the sidewalks um, and to not occupy the median. As you may be aware, um, last year, Gene Sothert advocated for and passed a law that makes it illegal for people to occupy medians um, in an attempt to... um, Limit the amount of homeless people that are um, on medians because you know white politics. Anyways, um, so that actually makes it extremely hard for protesters
3: because homeless people make white people uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, I,
2: okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but so it, it was it was a big deal for us because um, we saw protesters that were occupying all of the medians at 72nd and Dodge. And so as we saw them there, we tried to move them off of the medians and tried to literally get people to go to either side of the street. Um, but frankly, they weren't interested. And it was mostly uh, my interactions and from what I saw, it was overwhelmingly white men, especially young white men, young white liberal men, um, that were the people that just didn't want to listen to me, didn't want to interact, and they were absolutely um, about just fucking up shit. Um, or, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss here. So, just messing you stuff can, up. You can, you can. Cuss okay. on, lady, speak your truth. <laughs> um, so, as, they, um, as it became clear that we could not get them off of the median, um, And all of this is happening. I think it happened. I don't know about what you think, Angie. I thought it happened within like five, 10 minutes. Um, It
0: happened.
3: Yeah, it happened quickly.
2: It happened super quickly. Um, We got one warning from the police that if we didn't move people off medians, that they were going to um, shut us down. Um, And they started blocking off traffic. And the moment that they started off blocking off traffic, um, protesters noticed um, and they started to occupy the streets um, and to walk very peacefully, um, many of them arm in arm walking up the street um, from 72nd Dodge um, East, heading East um, in traffic. And keep in mind also, I've organized a lot of protests. I've been at a lot of protests this is the first time that I have seen this many people that are just driving by, and it's constant honking, people yelling in support, people that are absolutely about everything that this protest was about. Um, so there are people that are walk, we're walking past cars, um, and friends are, people are like high fiving, hang out the window, a black car office, hang- like hang out the window um, that are in cars and people are getting out of their cars, leaving their cars um, to walk with us. Now, the police, um, the moment that they started to see us in the streets walking, um, started putting on gas masks. And uh, police that weren't already in riot gear, so plainclothes officers or officers that were just wearing their uniforms, um, put on their riot gear. And the SWAT unit that was hanging out in the parking garage mobilized. And um, shortly afterwards, a line of police formed. You saw the first uh, bits of tear gas deployed, and um, things quickly escalated because police started to tear gas people. And it's children that are in, that are at the protest, there are elderly people at the protest, there are people. Uh, with respiratory issues, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Just, just about everyone that I saw, out of the thousand plus people there, was wearing a mask. We were actually handing out masks to people that didn't have them. And the moment they started tear gassing us, you can't breathe. And the first right. thing you do is you rip off your mask. Also, the mask is then contaminated with tear gas, so it's literally holding something burning to your face. Um, so people at two two hours later, you see people that look like they've been out in the sun in 100 degree weather with, with sunburns and peeling skin. Um, there are some pretty serious burns that I saw. There are people that are um, crying and traumatized. It's it was devastating, and they continued to throw flashbangs, they continued to throw tear gas, um, and every single one of the protesters, um, cops were talking about there being rocks, rocks and bricks thrown at people. There was water bottles, period, water bottles. They got upset about water bottles. I didn't actually see uh-huh. a brick until I saw that white kid run past my car Um, while I was doing a live video and literally he led a crowd of people and he yelled to Target so that they could go vandalize Target and the police were already there and that's the first time I actually saw somebody with a rock.
1: Wow. Angie, what was your experience like?
3: Um, It's actually interesting to listen to Morgan share her experience because Um, Her and I, we've both been so busy, we haven't really had an opportunity to debrief. Um, My experience was actually very similar to hers. Um, As far as like, I agree with everything she said. Um, I had actually been everything. The crowd was great. The energy was super. um, People were feeling empowered. Uh, We had planned on at nine o'clock doing a moment of silence for nine minutes and then um, following up with a call to action. So I was actually really excited because I felt like, you know, people were feeling empowered and they were feeling heard. And as Morgan stated, you know, the traffic and the passer buyers were just super supportive. It actually reminded me very much of the Women's March in 2017, uh, which I had helped organize and Morgan had um, also, and she had, spoken and was amazing, but we'll talk about that some other time. But, um, and so I thought things were going great. And then I received a text message from a friend and she said, Hey, the cops are barricading 69th street. And I was a little confused by that because I hadn't heard that the cops were going to do that. So I went down to 69th street. I had an orange band on, we had the folks that were helping had orange bands on them so that people could identify it. And an officer approached me, um, they're at the parking lot in front of, uh, that burger place. that's there on 72nd. And, um, he had said, and, I, and he approached me as I was walking up to him, and he was like, everything's fine. I'm like, why are you putting up the barricades? And he was like, everything's fine. People are just getting on the medians. We want to make sure that you guys are safe. He's like, so we're just going to put these up, you know, make sure everybody's safe. He said, but we would like to try to get people off the medians. Well, my experience with the women's marches and everything else is that if you're having a really, you know, powerful moment like that, that when they close off and barricade it's to allow people, you know, to march in the streets, and it's just your crowd got bigger than planned, you know. So they
1: make were room you. For you and they- did you ask anyone to get off the medians like Morgan did? Um,
3: after I spoke with that officer, I looked at cross and on that in that area, there was only a couple of people. Standing on the median one of them was the friend that had texted me so I approached her first and I said hey they want us off the medians they're barricading to make sure it's safe I said but I'm like they want us off the median so we probably need to do that or they might close us down and she was like okay and then I walked over to another group and said hey um please get off the medians and they did um and then I
1: did you ask then- men to get off the medians
3: uh, it
1: was it was
3: men and women. Um, I think that's interesting was, that were, you
1: and Morgan had a different experience.
3: Yeah, well, in that on that area, um, it like on 69th Street, there weren't as many protesters because the protesters had focused, you know, more towards 72nd, and then were expanding more towards or more down 72nd, and then they were dodged. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there really weren't even that many people on the median. And um, then the barriers were up. And then I had only had the opportunity to ask or speak with my friend and then go to the one group. And I was on my way to really the only other people that were there. And then people started walking onto the street and marching down to the barricades. And I was like, okay. And I had kind of expected that because in my previous, um, experience with holding protests and rallies and marches and stuff if the crowd gets bigger than expected they'll barricade off the roads but allow you to continue the event um then i so then i uh i had had my 16 year old with me and i was like let's go um to the headquarters table talk to morgan the other organizers you know and see what's going on and by the time i got down to 72nd 72nd street people were telling me that they were tear gassing people down by, I think it's 76th street. Um, There's a bit of a hill, so you couldn't really necessarily see it. Um, So I went, So
1: you were on, I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. You were on 72nd street is where the organizer table was. And when you were on 68th street or 69th street, yes. So so you could talk to the the police officer. Yes, so that that's three blocks away, and a police officer told you everything was fine. They're barricading to keep people safe, and in the yes. three blocks it took you to walk, people were being tear gassed. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's how quickly it changed. Okay.
3: So. Um, and so also, I. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I was just going to say, so then I went down to, I walked down to 76th Street, or, you know, quickly went down there. And that's when I saw the uh, riot police were forming lines. Um, There was some maybe by, like, 74th, and then a whole bunch on, like, 76th. See, they used barricades to barricade the road on 69th. And then they set up the riot police down by
0: 76th. Well, about what time was this about?
3: The people at like 72nd Street did not even know that the riot police had arrived and were there. I mean, a lot of them people didn't even know. um, Yeah, I mean, you couldn't.
2: I remember literally, and I think I was standing with you at the time, or it was right around the time that I finally found you. Um, I just remember looking back seeing police cars, and a cloud of smoke, and realizing what that smoke meant.
3: Yeah, and then when I went over there, I had um, bumped into one of the other volunteers, and uh, she had said that they didn't tell people to disperse. They didn't announce anything. They just started tear gassing. Uh, mm. She showed me a picture that she had taken on her phone um, that was like one of the tear gas cans or whatever. Like, I guess you're supposed to like pull a pin or something and then throw it. And like the pin was still like attached to the tear gas stuff. So um, yeah, that's, that's my experience of how it started. Um, So then I went back down to 72nd street um, and on, well, I stayed there for a minute and they tear gas people and whatever. So I like told my 16 year old to go to our van um, and sit there and lock the door because I was afraid that the police were going to harm her. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, she went and did that. And then I noticed that the, the riot pol- police that had formed on the um, 74th street were marching towards the one on 76th street. So they were just using tear gas so that those two groups could move down the road together. And then they started to form, you know, like a big line together once they were together. So I was like, they just kenneled everybody in. Like they put the barricades down on 69. They're over here clearing out the road with tear gas. Um, and so I started heading back up towards, uh, 72nd and 69th street, because I wanted, I was warning people that the riot police were here and that they were clearing the road and shooting tear gas because nobody knew they were not like on loudspeakers telling us to clear the area. They were not, um, they, they were just in riot gear, marching down the road, shooting tear gas, um, and clearing people out. So, um, I ran up the road and started warning people and other people did too. I wanted to make sure that folks that did not want to, you know, be a part of that had an opportunity to leave. There were, um, lots of kids there. Um, so I was, I was very scared at that point for the people there because, um, because of the police and their
1: interactions. One thing that I yeah, want Yeah, I brought say, a yeah. lot of, I brought my children to protests a lot. Do you think, like, how young were the kids? Like, what were the age ranges that you saw of children there were, in daylight at a there protest? Were
2: there were babies. There were, like, in oh. diaper babies. There were, there were babies. Oh. Preg- like, one of my friends is pregnant, um, and she was there. It was a concern of hers even attending the rally. Um, with COVID 19, but especially when we started tear gassing like I, sure. as soon as we saw what was happening, like people with children, um, people that were at risk, like, we tried to tell everyone we could to get out while they still could.
3: One of the things that I am so upset about um, is that Morgan and I have a lot of experience when it comes to organizing things like this. And we did everything that we do for every other rally and march, um, and protest. And this is not the first time that we have had a protest grow larger than expected. It is not the first time that we have planned a protest in a short amount of time. Um, it is the first time the police responded this way. Wow. The I,
1: have,
3: I have been. I was. I was. A, I was a police liaison for the 2017 march. We expected maybe a couple thousand people, and that went up to like 14,000. The cops were offering me rides to get up to the front of the line. They were like, "We're just going to barricade off the roads. It's getting too big." We didn't have a permit to march down those streets. We were supposed to stay on the sidewalks to march from the Century Link into downtown Omaha, and the police barricaded everything off and then assisted us and gave us a, you know, like a police, uh, whatever, like in front to lead us away and stuff. Um, yeah. So never have they acted this way. So I was completely unprepared for this and it felt set up. So,
2: yep. They, it was very clear. I was the first person um, that spoke to the police when we got to the protest, because um, I got there early to help set up and everything, and um, I told the police, because the police liaison weren't there yet, that we had every intention of being peaceful, that our goal was to have everyone go home tonight safe and sound, um, and that we're going to have a moment of silence later on. They're welcome to join us. And they uh, told me that, yep, that sounds great. We're about that. We love it. Let us know if you need us. Um, And I told them to be in contact with our two police liaisons. And um, I thought we were fine. Um, I was, I wanna say that I was shocked, but I wasn't, um, that things escalated as quickly as it did because the moment someone told me that if we couldn't get these kids off of the median that the police would shut down the protest, not barricade the streets not um arrest the people on the on the medians not any of that but shut down the whole protest i realized they had no intention from the jump to work with us their intention was always violence uh, and they used that as I an excuse am, uh, for violence i believe that too i believe that too i
3: believe that they knew that at some point somebody would get on the median and i think that they just waited until that happened and then they cleared us out if they would have set up the barricades and not brought out the riot police and allowed people to march up and down the roads then at nine o'clock we had a speaker there. We had like a mic and a speaker there. At nine o'clock, we could have had our moment of silence. And then at 909, we could have made our call to action and given people something to do with all of that energy and that empowerment, which is the point of a protest. Um, and then the vast majority of those people would have dispersed. Um, so I believe that this was a setup and that it was definitely instigated by the police. The only thing that I can see that was done differently or that was different about this protest or rally, um, which really it was more of a rally because we weren't, you know, like protesting outside a police department or anything. Um, To me, the only difference was is that we had um, a lot of people of color there and that um, we were protesting for black lives. And um, against police brutality. Really, the only thing that was different was our crowd had more black and brown people. And our message was uh, pro-Black Lives Matter and ending police violence. So um, I believe that that is what caused the changed response. And then they led the narrative in the media and the news that people had gotten onto the streets and were ha- you know, blocking traffic and whatever, so they had to shut it down. But that is not true. That is not what happened. So I think that um, they very much had this planned out as to how it was going to go. And I feel the same way about what happened last night on 72nd and Dodge as well.
1: Can you guys talk about, so all of this happened on Friday night, On Saturday, the mayor of Omaha must have responded in some kind of way to the terror that was inflicted upon a really large number of people in Omaha. Um, did Did you see her response? Do you have thoughts about her response? Can you walk us through what that response was?
2: I um, have only seen bits and pieces of her response. I haven't actually, honestly, it's the past two days has been like drinking from a fire hose um, of information. So I, I haven't been able to, to do any research or to really look at any of that information. Um, but what I did see is that she, as I quote from it that she said, she wants to go back to... Um, the days where people, something along the lines of blue does matter, or, or people valuing cops or something like that. Um, and I saw Schmoderer's comments about how uh, people were throwing Molotov cocktails, um, which was bullshit because there was one person that threw Molotov cocktail. Everything else was fireworks that people had in backpacks. Um, and when I say people, I mean, like, literally teenagers white teenagers, um, they lobbed, and it actually was more of an issue for protesters than it was for the police because it never got anywhere near the police. Uh, They say that people are throwing rocks, which uh, when I showed up, I didn't see any of that, but I did see um, that there were definitely people, um, predominantly white people, um, destroying property later on. and I, I just see the receipt. Okay. Like, you guys are doing what you've always done in your asshole.
3: So yeah, I, th- I think that there's a clear difference. Um, I, I guess I want to say, from my experience on both Friday and Saturday, when you would see, um. And on Saturday, just to be clear, I was at 72nd and Dodge. I n- never went downtown. Um, but you, when you saw people antagonizing the police or, you know, trying to rally it up in like a negative way, um,
1: they were white men.
3: I did. I didn't see any black men acting that way or men of color. Um, it was. It was white men. Um, I, I saw maybe one white woman that did it um but it was white men and I would say that they ranged in age from younger you know maybe like 17 18 to probably 30 35 um yeah and I also want to take note that because I think that it's important I just think it's important um when when the raids or when the Raid police started barricading down the road and clearing people out. I felt as it was important to go and try to film what I could and just keep my camera on it because I knew that they were violating every person there's rights. Um, so I stayed up close to the police barricade and it was black men and women that were telling people to stay calm. It was black men and women that were, there was this one black man that had his back turned to the riot police with his arms out while they hit him with a baton. I'm sorry. While they hit him with a baton as he tried to help them move people in the direction they were making them move. Um, and I just... And even just last night or yesterday when the police, hundreds, hundreds of police um, surrounded the... Area of 72nd and Dodge, um, like that actual corner by Target. They had most of them on that corner and then up in the parking lot of uh, Target. Yeah. And they were all being peaceful. Um, and the cops had militarized vehicles out there yep. um, with people coming out of them, shooting flaming balls of because it comes out flaming and then it explodes. Yeah. And they were shooting continuously, continuously yep. at the crowd. The crowd yep. had done nothing. They were yep. peaceful. I, had, I have video of it. It didn't even look like a protest because occasionally they would chant, but then they would stop. Nobody was in the streets. They had barricades in the median. It was like a war zone. I asked police. I said, um, is it legal to be here right now? They said, yeah. I said, then what's all this about? And they said, we're just here to protect you. We're just here to keep you safe. I said, from who? And they said, we're just here to keep you safe. But then at the end of the night, they were blowing stuff up at us because they just decided they were done. They just decided they, they were done and it was time to clear us out. Um, and I was so, like Morgan has stated, you have a mask on, that stuff gets in your face, it hurts, it burns. Um, by the time I was running down the parking lot trying to get away, um, Like, I thought I was going to pass out. (laughs) Like, and then some black men came and dumped milk on my face and my nose and told me to make sure to drink some. And then I was able to make it away from the fire. So I think it's important to note the difference and who the aggressors were and were not in these situations.
2: So, um, I don't know where you, where, where were you yesterday at? Uh,
3: I was at 72nd and Dodge, yeah, yesterday. Um, I was there when they first started to gather. And before, you know, anybody had shown up, they had brought in barricades um, to put on the medians. They had blocked down um, the entire intersection um, before anybody really even gathered. Um, it was heavily policed. There were snipers on top of Dew Space. Um, all of the police were in riot gear. Um, so I thought, well, screw this. I'm not keeping my kid here today. And so I took her home. And then by the time I came back, it was hard to even, they had it so blocked off. It was hard to even get back. I actually had to call a friend that lived in the neighborhood. So she could take me through some back roads to even figure out a place, you know, to like park and get back to the site. Um, when we got up there, everything was peaceful. The cops were standing in riot gear in front of the people that were peacefully protesting um, with their batons. They were blocking them from walking across the street. Um, the friend that I had with me is also an organizer for things like this. Um, and, you know, yesterday it was a peaceful protest, and by law, they should have been able to march anywhere they wanted as long as they stayed on the sidewalks. Um, and they were not even allowed that from the beginning. So, um, yeah, so I watched a, um, girl, I was standing there, um, over on the corner by Petco. Uh, my friend and I were standing there and there was an officer in raid stuff with a, I don't know if they're calling it pepper ball guns or rubber bullets or whatever the heck it was. Um, and a young girl, probably 19 years old walked up, just by us, like, she was just walking by her and her friend or boyfriend or whatever, and it looked like, I thought out of the corner of my eye, like, it looked like she dropped something, so she bent down to pick it up, and I turned to look at her, and the the cop that was standing near me started shooting at her. Hit her, like, ten times, and then two other cops ran, like, one or two other cops ran up, grabbed her, and then that cop took her away for for walking.
2: So, Um, I was... I must have walked right past you. So I showed up around 7.30, eight o'clock last night to um, 72nd and Dodge. Craig and I went, we weren't intending to go because to be honest, we were traumatized by what had happened the night before. And we had no intention of be- being there or putting ourselves in danger. Um, and honestly, like letting people Protest peacefully themselves and, and navigate their own journey in that um, But I had so many people that are asking me to if I'm taking footage and if I am taking footage Where am I? Where am I going and trying to? help people coordinate supplies um, and recognizing that there was medics on the ground, but they couldn't get across and um, Just hearing all these stories. So we decided to go And as soon as we get there, we get there, we gear up. um, And then Craig, who my partner, who is a really, really, really attractive, intelligent doctor. um, I'm so lucky (laughs) to have him as a partner. um, (laughs) uh, Went up to one of the cops. And I mean, he's got pretty blonde hair and light eyes and everything. So he goes up to a cop super respectful and asks him if if we can get across, because we are there to uh, provide medical care, um, and emergency medical care. Um, and the cop escorts us across. And we literally get across. I, As we're walking across, I'm in the process of putting my phone up so I can start live streaming everything that happens from that moment on. Within five minutes, mm-hmm. they start, the, the police mobilize and they start moving people off of public property, off of the sidewalks, pushing them back into private property. Um, yeah. And as soon as they started that, within seconds, they start shooting people and tear gassing them. Now keep in mind, there was also a line of police that were already in the target parking lot where they back. So what ended up happening was, as police advance from 72nd Street towards Target lot, um, they trapped the protesters because there's nowhere yes. for them to go. And so, yeah, I'm literally uh, I lost Craig um, in the scuff in all of it because I'm I'm literally standing there and I'm asking them what's going on, and why are they doing this, um, and I get shot with pepper bullets and. Um, oh my God. A couple of cops, one throws a uh, flashbang at me, and it misses me. Um, the other one throws a tear gas canister that lands at my feet. Um, and I run, of course. Um, and they just, it it, looked, it felt like a war zone. I felt like I was in the middle of a war yeah. zone. I, I remember. Oh, my God. And they, I, I, I was literally. I,
3: they, they literally had the, the machinery there.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember, I actually, um, so they tear gassed us, and I, it, it was so bad that I had an N95 mask on, which filters a lot of that. Um, it, as long as I don't have direct contact with tear gas or overwhelming contact with tear gas, I can keep the mask on and do my job um, as a medic. And I had to rip it off, and I collapsed. Literally in the middle of the parking lot, and I remember looking up at and looking up and trying to see anything through the gas. And I'm screaming for help. And I'm screaming at the p- cops like, "You literally trapped us. Where are we supposed to go?" And they're yelling at us moving move and to get out. And there's nowhere for us to go because I look up and I see cops and through the through the gas. And I'm looking on all sides. I literally spun a 360 right before I collapse, and there's literally cops everywhere that you see throughout the, throughout the gas. And if it wasn't for a protester who saw me, I think he might've stumbled over me or something, I was literally passed out. Um, if it wasn't for him picking me up, um, I would not be here. Um, I fully believe that I would either be in police custody or I'd be in the hospital. Um, and if it wasn't for the, the people that were there, I don't know where I'd be. And it was the most horrific thing that I have ever seen in Omaha.
1: To
3: see- It's the, and- most, horrific
1: thing.
2: It's the most horrific thing
3: I have ever seen in my life. Like, not just the violation of human rights and the violence while they are smiling in your face telling you they're there to protect you but the all-out feeling of being in a war zone and they have all the weapons and all the power and all the control um and it's total chaos and and they trap you in and it's hard to even know where you're supposed to go or What you're supposed to do. When I finally got out of the parking lot to go back to my car, I went to run across the road um, so that I could get out of there and get to my van. And um, they were shooting rubber bullets or whatever at the people as they were running away. Um, So it almost felt like there was just no real safe place to go. And if you did collapse, you had to rely on the other protesters there because the police were not going to help you. So they were the ones attacking you. Um, and then that's part of the reason why, because as Morgan has said, like I didn't plan on going either because I was so traumatized, but I had um, a couple of friends that were like, uh, they're actually down in Minneapolis protesting. And, you know, we talked and they were like, please go check. They're not going to have it organized. They're not going to have street medics. You know, the cops are going to be crazy. Please just go check. And when I went and checked, um, I had actually taken my daughter. We were going to just grab something to eat. I was going to drive around, hopefully see a peaceful protest and go home. But then I saw the snipers. I saw, you know, them preparing and everything. And I thought, I have to come back to bear witness. I have to come back, you know, to try to help people. I don't. The, The police made it a war on citizens. And I felt like I had to go and defend my community and
1: my home. So I wanna bring a little context from the last couple years. This is not the first time in Nebraska that we have tried to have a Black Lives Matter conversation. Several years ago, we had Nebraska football players that were taking a knee during the national anthem. And this was part of a larger national movement that was inspired by Colin Kaepernick. Uh, And he was playing with the NFL. In response to this very quiet, um, very personal protest uh, happening uh, for Husker games, we had the governor, Governor Ricketts, said that it was disgusting what was happening. Hal Dobb, who was a Nebraska regent and former Omaha mayor, tried to get those football players removed from the football team and perhaps even from college. And when the Super Bowl came around after the college football season was over, the governor issued a proclamation about standing up for the national anthem during the Super Bowl. Uh, that is how that conversation went, and and so and so now we're in this new moment where. We're trying to have it, this conversation again about Black Lives Matter. And it has—it it is much bigger. It is much more visceral. And in Omaha, somebody was killed. Somebody was killed. And this person was killed by a man who is known in Omaha as being transformed. Phobic, He's kicked a woman out of the women's restroom for peeing uh, because he thought he knew best about what may or may not have been in her underpants, and then he ha- is not does not have a clean criminal record. And he took his gun to his bar and he stood there ready to kill people. Then he left his bar, interacted with people on the sidewalk. And ended up in an altercation where he got to do what he came down there to do, which was kill a black man. And then he did that. Um, what, you're both in Omaha, your networks are in Omaha. What are people saying about that? What's happening? Um, what's happening around that? Oh, Angie, do you want to
2: go first?
3: What's happening around um Sherlock the young general? Right,
1: James Sherlock who was 22 James
3: and 22, was downtown
1: correct. last night.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of grief. I actually attended a I'm not going to call it a protest. I don't know the correct word for it, but I attended a vigil thing at okay. the uh, yeah, vigil maybe is the best word. Uh at the Malcolm X Center and um, or X Foundation and they um, had talked about a lot and it was basically, um, you know, don't give them a reason to kill us. Um, They talked. It is from the perspective of a white woman sitting there I believe that they are valid in feeling as though they are being attacked. And um they did recognize and honor um not just James Sherlock but also um George Floyd and um Brianna Taylor and um Zachary they discussed that group burial. Yes, who was murdered, um
2: by police, by police that yeah,
3: I now work back on the on the police force. Um, they talked about who did Helene. you say? I think I
1: didn't hear the name. Can you repeat it?
3: Zachary Bearhill.
1: and he was murdered after his mother, who lives in another state, called the police because he had gotten off on the wrong bus and he had some developmental disabilities and she called the police saying he needs help he didn't he got off his bus by mistake can you get him and get him back home to where we live and in response to that cry for help they killed him
3: yes they tased him and beat him until he died on the ground of bucky's while he was handcuffed and detained
1: Mm -hmm. yep and nothing happened the response they was with they it. removed they, those they police officers their- from the force and then they rehired them.
3: They, they removed them from the force and then they went to trial where it was basically determined that they legally murdered him is how I'm going to phrase it because I think it's mm-hmm. important to recognize that our police are legally murdering people as well. Um, yeah. And so then through arbitration and the police union, Um, three of those four officers were able to get their jobs back and currently work on the force. Yes. I would also like to point out that here in Omaha, I do not believe that this is just a police problem when we're speaking of racism. Um, There is the fire union president, Steve LeClaire, who committed a hate crime against a black woman and was uh, fired from the force. Um, found guilty in court um, and then the fire union through arbitration he got mm-hmm. his job back and he remains on the uh, as a firefighter but then also the um, fire union president so and I think that that's important to note that we have races in those positions of power
1: absolutely What does it look like? What does it look like going forward?
2: So, what are some
1: outcomes we could hope for?
2: So, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the past, um, what has this been almost 72 hours? Um, is how many of the political leadership and community leadership, um, that has been hypercritical of how people protest um, in Omaha, but are super supportive of how people protest everywhere else. Um, literally the same people that were talking about how awesome it is, what people are, what protesters are doing in Minneapolis and what protesters are doing all over the United States, um, were calling for, not just caution and calm, but also calling, um, calling out. And we're hypercritical of these new activists that have no idea what they're doing, but they wanna do something. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of helping, they're just critiquing and tearing them down, which is just further pushing new activists away. And it's astounding to me how short their mem- memories are. Um, because this was us five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago, two decades ago, it's it's astounding to me that we there are so many of my of people that I actually deeply respect, people that I organize with, people that I consider my friends that are um, so hyper dismissive from home. Um, And I think we need to get back to that compassion and get back to that that level of of humility that we expected leaders to have when we started our activist journey. Um, And I think that needs to be our foundation going forward. But we do need cohesion and we do need organization. We need... um, To help the the people that are out there in the streets right now, um, we need to help them figure out, uh, not figure out, but we need to help make them aware of um, what the actual demands are. We need to help make them aware of the systems that are at play. Yes, policing is an issue, but also the whole criminal industrial complex is an issue. Uh, We need to talk about the full continuum of, the corruption in the criminal justice system from the point that you are considered um, a threat or a suspect to the point that you are out of jail and off paper um, and even after. Um, And so helping these really powerful, empowered, energetic activists that are about the movement, helping them understand the continuum of all the issues that we're fighting for in addition to advocating for justice for uh, James Spurlock, Scurlock, um we're also advocating for a complete dismant- dismantling of these systems that are inherently unjust, corrupt, and white supremacist. And so, and it's we have astounding. to do
1: this in Omaha, a city that is known across Nebraska for an area of town commonly called North Omaha. Yep. And the reason, and North Omaha, as people in Nebraska know, is a predominantly uh, black section of town. And the reason it is a predominantly black section of town is because of redlining and yep. this historical financial barrier to make sure that generational equity through home ownership and like working your way up to buy bigger, better homes that was not available to African Americans. Um, early on in the banking world, uh, and then they built Highway 75 through it, cutting them off through natural ways of, like, walkability and growth from the rest of the city. You know, in a I'm city gonna... that the federal government has sued successfully because the schools were discriminatory in Omaha. Um, this Omaha has a long, deep, and dark history with racism.
3: Yeah, and I also want to point out because it was pointed out tonight at the Malcolm X Foundation that um, the Highway 75, as is common in cities um, throughout the country, um, not only goes through North Omaha, but it provides a direct route into Office. So like today when they're bringing in the National Guard and stuff like that, um, there's a a direct, you know, path between North Omaha and, um, off it and that's just not,
1: I never thought about that. And that highway was built. I mean, it was built overlapping with the civil rights movement. So that surely wasn't unintentional.
2: No, it was absolutely intentional. Um, And if you look at the history, part of it is redlining is also is highly financial, but it's also legal. Like it was legal discrimination. It was actually illegal for um, people to be allowed to buy houses, like black people to be allowed to buy houses in certain areas of Omaha up until just a couple of decades ago. Um, And When we're talking about these issues, it also overlaps with, like, the, the when we're talking about systemic racism, we're talking about social, political, and economic that are working hand in hand. Um, so what you have is families like my own, where we grew up in North Omaha. My parents grew up in North Omaha. I grew up in North Omaha. Um, and when my family was one of the first families um, of everyone that we knew, to move out of North Omaha. And we moved out to Bellevue and we were the first black family in our neighborhood in Bellevue, which ironically is right down that 75 highway that they built over um, businesses and over uh, churches and over people's homes and livelihoods. It's, It's devastating the things that political leaders have done to justify keeping black people in their in their place, um, and I'm using air quotes right now, um, according yeah. to what they think we should and should not do and where we should and should not be.
0: I'm so glad you guys so are bringing wanna- all this up. There's There's so many times when people, especially in Lincoln and Omaha, think of it, oh, it's like this blue dot, right, where, it's probably not the same it's not like small towns where they uh there's flags or something that you know that they might fly that they're like well that's a terrible sign you know but it's important that we know that just because we might see more blue voting in these areas it does not mean that the system is not also broken <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Omaha has been led by both Democrats and Republicans. They kind of go back and forth. They flip-flop between party leadership at a congressional level. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, absolutely. That does not mean liberals and the left in general is not immune to racism. It is baked into everything. Everything is woven with a racist. <laughs> I mean, it's just everywhere.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, to that note, and I know that um, that when I say things like this, it upsets people sometimes, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I believe that it is true. If the Democratic Party were truly doing a good job at representing and including and advocating for communities like mine, I, I live in North Omaha, so communities like mine that are predominantly people of color and predominantly low-income people. If the Democrats were truly doing a good job at advocating for those people, you would not see such low voter turnout in these communities. My community, by and large, does not feel as though either party is truly helping them. And in some ways, what I hear a lot is that at least we know the Republicans are against us at least we know what we are fighting but they feel uh. as though many of the democrats will lie to them and then not truly be there and i think that morgan touched on it a little bit earlier when she was talking about the reaction and the response and the lack of support one of the things that has been frustrating me as well is having to explain and defend the protest and the actions of the protesters and redirect Democrats and liberals and even some less leftists to speaking about the, you know, true problem here, which is racism and police violence against people of color, rather than distract to the looting. I've been struggling to, um, I've been frustrated with having to, I feel like that we should just be believed when we say this, happened and the police instigated it and the police set it up why do we have to argue that point to fellow democrats they say they believe in racism and systemic racism and that this happens with police but then when it happens it and we bear witness they don't believe us
2: absolutely it's fascinating to me how quick people are to believe Um, that it is the protesters themselves that are the aggressors, even with video evidence, even with picture evidence, even with firsthand accounts from people that they trust, all these things, and they still believe that protesters are the agitators. Um, And I'm not talking about, like, the average Trump supporter. I'm talking about, like, activists, like, local activists, have a hard time believing it. Like it's a it's a theme that I heard tonight at the vigil, um, when they were warning for caution and they were warning for um, police and they were telling people to go home and to to not pop off and not react and don't antagonize the police, don't destroy property, and looting and all of that. And I'm looking around at these people, half of whom. Literally watched, if not my live stream, somebody else's, and watched who the actual agitators were. Mm -hmm. They watched peaceful protesters, predominantly black protesters that were helping people, that were providing first aid, that were stopping agitators, that were addressing people like a counter protester who is trying to harm a black woman from doing that. In fact, ironically, um, I did a live live video last night, because I was on the ground in downtown, um, and I was just down the block from where James was when he was murdered, um, and I was trying to find a way to get out, because the police had blockaded so much of downtown that it was hard to figure out where I could go. Um, and trying to also watch video, uh, comments in the video so I could find a way out. And uh, I met up with my, or I had meet, uh, planned to meet up with my partner um, on an intersection and saw, as I was doing a live video, saw a fight um, where a counter press protester had uh, shoved a young black woman and the group of white protesters. Uh, beat him up and they slammed his head into one of the parking meters and then threw him on the ground and left him there and they were circling over them they were kicking him um and they just left him there and they were going to let him die if it wasn't literally if it wasn't for the fact that it just happened to be that that was where I was meeting my fiance if we hadn't been there, he would have died. And it wasn't, it wasn't even people that were about the movement. It's just these white suburban kids that <laughs> were just like the ones that, like the one that threw a skateboard into um, a business that attacked me earlier that night and other ones that attacked other black people that tried to stop them that night they, they weren't there for the cause. They were just there to agitate and Mm -hmm. it was traumatizing. Like I, I haven't even been able to process everything that happened just because I'm still trying to get people to realize what actually happened I can't even unpack all the trauma that I just witnessed because I'm spending all of my energy trying to get people to just be human and to actually be about what they say they're about. If they say they're about uh, promoting Black black lives and promoting Black advancements and and advocating for justice and all these things, then why are you automatically siding with people who weren't on the ground, um, who have an agenda and a narrative that you would have otherwise recognized in any other situation um, and would not be people that you would side with in any other situation. But all of a sudden, you automatically believe that the people that you would otherwise be standing with are the aggressors. It's exhausting. Yeah.
1: Well, I would love to invite you on behalf of Seeing Red the Pod to come back. And you too, Angie. When you have decompressed, we have so many things we want to talk to you about. You have both been... You've both done so many incredible things in Omaha and across the state. And so we we have so many more things we want to talk to you about. As we wrap up, is there any, would you each like to take a minute or two and what do you want people, what's the, what do you want to say to people who are just getting into the work, who are just coming into the movement what, we, what do you want to say to them? I'm going
2: to let you go first, Angie.
3: Um, so, as a white person, I would like to speak to the other white people that are entering the movement. Um, it is important that we do not take up space that is meant for people of color. It is important that we do more listening than leading and it is important that we believe black and brown voices. If you cannot do those things, do not enter this movement. Um, I would also like to say Our governor is a racist, and that is without doubt. We have racists in our police system. We have racists in our fire system, in our firefighters, in our fire protection. Um, We have racists in party leadership. We have racists in every position of power that I can think of in Omaha. And if the Democratic Party truly wants to make change, then they need to do all of those things that I just told the activists that they need to.
2: I would say um, to to my young non-whites and other intersectionally identified folks, never forget who the enemy is because there's a lot of noise around you. There is a lot of noise that will come at you. Um, and it's very easy to get caught up in um, all, all of the politics and, and all of the back and forth and everything else. Um, but don't let that distract you from seeing who the actual enemy is. The enemy is, the people that are killing us. The enemy is the people that uh, create these laws that empower these people. The enemy is the system itself. The enemy is not each other. And if we can always function from that basis, no matter where you are in your activist journey, you need to carry that with you. And if we can function from that basis, then we can actually get the change that we've been demanding for generations. Um, if you're new to the movement, I would also try to find, try to find someone with experience, even if you don't agree with them. Like, I don't agree with the majority of people that have been doing this work for a long time will disagree on something or another. But at the end of the day, they have valuable feedback and advice. Um, we can tell you that you should not use milk or baking soda in tear gas situations because milk can cause infections and baking soda can can irritate your eyes more than help. So you should just use water and lots and lots of water. We can tell you that if you're preparing for a protest, then bring a hat, bring warm gear, um, try to find a safe house in the area and uh, if you can get swim goggles and an N95 mask or some other mask or something to cover your face. Um, We can tell you all these things and help prepare you for those situations, but we can also help you with the advocacy work, which is the real movement building work, changing policy, changing political leadership, changing the actual systems so that we don't have to protest anymore. And that's, that next step where we really build that movement and expand it out as well as define it.
1: Thank you so much. I hope a lot of people hear your words. I hope a lot of people have a better understanding of what actually has been happening in Omaha. I know people around the world are watching the United States. People around the country are looking at Omaha. And other big cities around the country, people around the state are looking at Omaha. And it is just important that we hear from the people who were there because we know that the government, the police have a strong incentive to give a narrative that centers themselves as victims. But they have all the power, they have all the authority, and they are not the victims. And I am so grateful that you have come on with us tonight and talk to us. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for giving us space to actually tell the truth because God knows mainstream media is not doing. Anything. They are repeating the police narrative. And I want it to be clear that if it continues to be allowed for the police to infringe on our rights and take the actions that they took they will kill somebody we have to change it or they're going to kill people and it feels like they want to
2: absolutely they can't,
3: you, you can't have I don't even know how many cops were there yesterday it was hundreds I watched two just, I, two busloads of riot police after there were already hundreds of police there um, come out and they, they know they're circling you. They, every one of them, hundreds of cops, every one of them, they know they're circling you. They know they're shooting at you when you
1: haven't done anything. They know you have a right to be there and they still choose to do it.
0: You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by Citizen Volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.